Welcome to Speak the Truth, a podcast devoted to giving biblical truth for educating, equipping, and encouraging the individual and local church in counseling and discipleship. Hello, hello, hello. We are back in a new year, Speak the Truth 2022. Um, I'm actually by myself today, but... As always, and most of the time we record, we have a special guest with us. Before I introduce our special guest, what I'd like to do is, uh, first and foremost, just uh, thank everyone who uh, contributed last year to your feedback, uh, topics, and just the engagement. And um, after our ABC conference last year, that was actually the last time we recorded, I was able to get several podcasts out of that. And just we just finished recording or excuse me, uh, launching the uh, remaining podcast in that. But um, today, what we're uh, focusing on in this new year is last year we had several, several inquiries uh, regarding uh, same-sex attraction, gender, sexuality uh, from parents in local churches in our area here in Keller, uh, Fort Worth, Texas. And uh, as a result of that, uh, we wanted to put together uh, not just some podcasts, but also uh, some things here locally. We're going to be having a uh, seminar in February uh, on gender and sexuality. Um, we're not going to be streaming that or anything for those of you who are listening. But in light of that, um, because of all of those things that uh, those inquiries that took place last year, um, we actually have a, a family uh, a friend of ours who is uh, very dear to us, who actually has this testimony. And uh, he's been a Christian for uh, just a couple of years, um, but I'll let him get into the details of uh, what we're going to talk about, which is generally his story in that. But we're going to have him uh, share basically his story um, in that lifestyle, his experience. So we're going to, we're really going to get into some details uh, because as many of you know, uh, listening all over the world at this point, uh, that this is societally speaking, a huge, huge issue politically. Uh, there's a lot of things happening as far as gender and sexuality is concerned. So I wanted to bring him on and just share uh, this because I think it goes against the narrative that is out there where um, it pretty much you know, speaks to the fact that, you know, you can be gay and Christian, that God is okay with that, that God affirms it and all of these things. Well, we have our guest today who actually speaks to the exact opposite, which is the antithesis of that narrative. And so with no further delay, I want to introduce everyone to Colton Taylor. Colton, how are you doing, brother? I'm doing well. Very excited to be here. Very, very excited. Pumped. Yeah. I'm, I'm really excited to have you share this story, man. And I, I know it takes a lot to actually talk about this and what's something beautiful that I appreciate about um, your story and what I think all our listeners will hear as well is that um, when you're convicted and convinced of the truth, like that's all you care yeah. about. That's yeah. what you care about. And so I'm excited to get into it. But um, th this is going to be like a two or three part podcast. And so for this particular podcast, we're going to talk about Colton's uh, backstory, how he grew up, um, what his life looked like um, before kind of coming to Christ and, you know, how he dealt with same-sex attraction, all of those things. And so, uh, Colton, before we kind of get into the specifics of that, would you just kind of share a little bit about yourself currently, what you're doing, what you're up to, like ASL, for example, how cool is that? Stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, um, yeah, the Lord's been working a lot in my life these last two years, so he's just got a lot of things um, in the works right now, things he's going to, yeah, I know he's going to call me to in the coming months. I have a little small group with y'all's son that um, I lead and, and that I'm a part of, this group that's been growing and ebbing and flowing for the last few years and um which we will get plenty into that group yeah. and how much yeah. god worked in that group and then um 
beyond that, yeah, just waiting for um, God's calling me to a lot with um, the way He calls all of us. Just that change and that change in life, uprooting all of our um, uprooting all I used to know, and now um, setting me on new paths that I never thought I'd be on. And so, um, just fleshing all that out and seeing what that looks like, um, whether it's seminary or biblical counseling one day, preaching. One of course, day, it's going to be biblical counseling. Going down the list, so. Yeah, right now, just really waiting on his timing and, um, you know, the specifics. No, that's good, man. Speaking of past, we're going to we're gonna jump right into this thing. So I'm uh, pretty much going to capture just early, you know, early on in life growing up. Do you think you were born with the same-sex attraction growing up? Do you have any narrative on that? Um, that's, that's, um, I've turned that question over in my head for a long time. I thought about that a lot before I came to Christ, and I've thought about it since coming to Christ. And both times I f- kind of feel like I'm, I'm a dog chasing my own tail with it. The first, before Christ, it was like more of a rabid dog. I was so, it was just such a, it's such a confusing topic. Right. Um, especially when, so just to be honest, right yeah. at the gate, hit hard with it. One thing that was spiritually very impactful, even though I didn't know it at the time, but in retrospect, um, I was sexually abused by a family member growing up um, for some years. And that obviously had a spiritual impact, as I said, on um, on my sexuality. And so with that, you know, you that that's a big thing to have. Is, is that the reason why this happened to me? Is that what is that what these where these affections are coming from? Um, again, I, I turned it over in my head a lot before Christ, and yeah. when I did, again back to that rabid dog analogy, it was just con- I was consumed with anger, consumed with confusion, consumed with question marks. And of course, apart from Christ, because apart from Christ, we know that. Something like that doesn't ultimately serve any kind of purpose. There's no, there's no purpose behind that kind of tragedy. When you take Christ out of the um, the equation, there's no there's no substance to it. And so all I was met with was were my own logistics that I could come up with in my own head, what the world around me was telling me. Because it's it's a cruel thing what the world tells you to do with that kind of trauma and those kinds of experiences. Things like that sound empowering. Make your truth and and um. Give yourself a purpose for the for the sadness, for the tragedy, for the trauma. And it sounds super empowering, but really, it's cruel. It's really a cruel thing. What they're essentially telling you to do is take this dead thing, like a dead tree, and bring life to it. Bring life to it and make it your truth. Make it your reality, something that you can handle, something you can cope with. A, the implication of that is there is no purpose to it, so you have to make your own. In and of itself, a truth that's so hard to, to come by. You, they're acknowledging that what you went through has no purpose, which is true outside of Christ. It does have no purpose. So they acknowledge that and then say, make your own truth. And so, like I said, if you have this dead tree in front of you that you're supposed to bring life to, I'm not capable of that. So the best you can do is like, at that point, like staple staple flowers and, and leaves to this right. to this dead thing. And by the end of it, you're supposed to sit back and be like, oh, that's beautiful because I made it, because that's my truth. And for some people, they can fool themselves into that. For some like people- Like they're convinced that that's real. Yeah, yeah. Some people that works. And for them, even though we know it doesn't really work, uh, truth is true regardless of your thoughts, your experiences. We already know that. But then it's especially hard for people like me who- can't sit back i can't fool myself i can't i can't sit back you're asking me to come face to face with this tragedy that i know was bigger whether the world wants me to acknowledge it or not is bigger than me so would you say with that colton because that's that's really insightful so 
for example, you know, with a question, did you feel like you were born this way? And then you talking about having a family member actually force something on you, right? Mm -hmm. Which typically was done to them, Mm -hmm. right? And so there's that regress of like, you know, it's just you kind of go back and and then so the person who's doing it is like, okay, I guess this is what you do. Um, And there's a lot of those stories when you actually ask homosexuals those questions, the ones that are actually willing to like, you know, be honest about it and transparent as far as that's concerned, like we'll actually go back and talk about the fact that, yeah, there was some sexual abuse somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's hard. It's as, as what you're saying, it's hard to like, okay, that act was done. So now it's like you're left in the state of confusion. Like, okay, is so, so am I supposed to be, am I supposed to be excited towards men? Uh, right. Like, so like, it was this premature something that was done to you that was imposed upon you that somehow brought with it this idea that you're now left to figure out, as you put it, this dead thing, mm-hmm. and you're supposed to address it mm-hmm. any way you can, but there's no direction in your... There's this narrative out there that like everybody's like, well, yeah, you, you dress the tree and like be, be proud mm-hmm. of that tree, and and it's your tree, and make yourself... and find your freedom and kind of like this existential, sexually speaking, this existential mm-hmm. sort of uh, build a bear, <laughs> yeah. if you will, in that sense, right? I mean, is that is that close to kind of right. what Absolutely. you're kind of saying? And like two, the biggest thing with that is while they tell you to dress this tree, they're also inadvertently, sometimes directly telling you, ignore the fact that God does bring life. He, I can't make a tree bloom from nothing. I can't make flowers bloom and fade or the grass to wither and fall away. I can't do that, but God can't. So what they're doing in telling you Convincing to, you that somehow yeah, you can do that. To make your truth, you, ha- you have to ignore God's truth in order to do that. Which I think that, in retrospect, since coming to Christ, is the cruelest part of that whole thing. You want me to acknowledge this, this trauma that I've had that's difficult to think about to begin with. Then you want me to make something of it. And then... That works that some people, they they chew, they take it, they run with it, it's fine. They fool themselves and it's it's great. But then those of us who can't, what are we left with? Because it's a... it's a. I think the hard part of what you're saying though too is the like what makes it palatable in a sense is that there is pleasure involved in mm-hmm. it. So amidst this confusion, um, along the way, like there's pleasure involved, even though it's confusing pleasure and you're trying to figure out if you actually enjoy it and like it and like when you're young as you know in most of these cases so back to the question right as things progressed in your particular story as as that action happened and you're left in the impact of it and figuring out did you begin to question those desires and and then actually get to the point where like you find yourself actually attracted to men how, for, how did that progression happen for me it was like um the attraction eventually was just there um and unignorable and then i eventually backpedaled to maybe figure out what the source was and that's when my mind went to the, the abuse and then i tried rationalizing it from there which again i knew was a fool's errand um, even before Christ, I just, there was no solace. There was just emptiness to it. So yeah, again, that question, something I turned over in my head before Christ. And then since Christ, I've also thought about that. Was I born this way? Just really quick. Um, sorry to, to go back to that. Just chronologically speaking, like for age, like mm-hmm. in the event that these things happened and took place and the process of kind of yeah. working through all that, when did that particular action take place? Um, which one, the abuse itself yeah. or yeah. yeah. When so, it was... so uh, the abuse would have happened around ages six to maybe eight or nine, so a few years there. Well, it wasn't a one-time event; it was over a period. Of oh time. yeah, 
Yeah. yeah, the abuse too, it wasn't like, this was another thing that, especially after crisis was, I, I had to think about a lot. This wasn't, it was, I wasn't forced, I wasn't laid down and, and forced to take this abuse. Right. Um, it was dressed up as a game. Right. Um, from a young age. And so my, me being a kid and trusting this family member, um, who was also around my same age at the time, um, I trusted them and it's a game. Okay, then this is fun and it's good. So my brain associated it with positive. Not to mention the body actually responding physically right. to pleasure. Exactly. Right? It wasn't until retrospectively that it came became traumatic. Right. Understanding later when you're older the implications of being taken advantage of and then also understanding that you didn't understand at the time, right. which in and of itself is a violation. Right. So, so. Mid, so elementary school, kind of those formative years, right? And then mm-hmm. you get into middle school. Mm-hmm. Is that where you would say sort of this this idea of same-sex attraction sort of started to happen or did it happen sooner? I th- it happened sooner. Um, and I wasn't comfortable with it from the very beginning. I actually remember in elementary school, I think it was around fourth grade, one girl started one girl in my class started getting ridiculed and one of the insults that the people who were ridic- ridiculing her for they were using the word gay and i remember the teacher standing up in front of the class and being like you guys don't throw words like that around no one knows at this age i remember in that at fourth in fourth grade holding on to that so clearly my identity quote unquote my attractions was already they were already scaring me to this point that I vividly remember holding on to those teacher's words and remembering, oh, this isn't it. Like, I'm feeling this, and it's scary, and I don't like it, but this isn't it. It could change. I'm, not, I'm too young. I don't know yet. Right. So with that said, I don't know exactly when it started to become apparent for me, but I do have that memory, which tells me that I had been struggling already in fourth grade for a while. So. Wow. Okay. Um, so then when did you see these attractions become a struggle? I know it kind of, you mm-hmm. said it like it, it became, you were scared and, mm-hmm. and basing, you know, the teacher's response and that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but where do you feel like it really began to be a struggle? Um, where you, you hit it essentially is I, my assumption. Yeah. Um, actually in fourth grade. So that same year I had a girlfriend, the way little elementary yeah. kids do, you just run around with each other and, you know, have fun and you'll play and you'll call each other boyfriend and girlfriend. So I had a, quote, girlfriend in fourth grade, and I remember, um, and it seems like a silly thing, but it was existentially, like, detrimental for me at the time. Um, we were on a field trip, and we went to the Omni uh, movie theater IMAX thing, and during the movie, she grabbed my hand. And I remember up to that point, I was fine with the whole boyfriend-girlfriend thing. We race at recess, and that's pretty yeah. much the extent also, of that. Also, you start getting a physical touch. That's right. Different. I remember physically responding with total discomfort to a person that I trusted, that I liked a lot, that I saw every day, spent a lot of life with. And I, there was a physical response to the discomfort. And again, I think I'm not that I vividly remember, but I know I would pretty much guarantee because of, like I said, what I just explained with the teacher standing up there and and telling us I had been struggling up to that point. That moment was when it was unignorable because, because the girl grabbed my hand. I thought she did. She grabbed my hand and I fit in fourth grade physically couldn't play along i couldn't you know any any um fooling i did to myself or duping myself up to that point thinking oh maybe i maybe this isn't me maybe this isn't real maybe these affections aren't as um as permanent as i thought in that moment it was unignorable like this is i feel this these attractions are strong and appreciate that so all right so socially you know in school those environments how was it at home i mean was this something that 
your parents were aware of, or was this something that you shared with them, or this was something that was sort of suppressed kind of within yourself and experienced socially and, you know, at school and other places? I, I was, no, I didn't share it with anybody. This was not something I shared with family at all. I didn't even share it with myself. I was a prisoner even in my own mind. It's, it's a bit hard to explain because I'm sitting here saying that I've come, I came to this age eventually where I realized I couldn't ignore it, blah, blah, blah. But at the same time, there was like a dual part of my mind that was not addressing this at all, was 100% ignoring these affections that I was feeling. And it wasn't, I wasn't being honest even with myself. Yeah. And so in my household, I didn't grow up in a Christian household, but I did grow up in this um, environment where, um, not that my, I have a hateful family or anything like that, but um, like homosexuals or gay people were kind of the butt of some jokes just because of how my, you know, how certain parts of my family grew up. Um, the areas they grew up in, the times they grew up in. It was just something that I never, I didn't know any gay people. It was always something that was just kind of a funny thing. Right. Something that, that was kind of the butt of every joke, like I said, and um, the punchline to getting a few laughs. And so it wasn't something I wanted any part of. Right. Um, even in a world without Christ, it's a different kind of, it's, it's just, there was shame. Not that, not that my parents were to blame for it. It was just, I didn't want it. Yeah, And um, the environments I grew up in and the world I saw, I didn't want it, even apart from Christ. I didn't see it as sin. It was just something I saw as something I don't want to be a part of me. So at this particular point, like you're saying, at what point did this begin to kind of shape the struggle? Because I, I was going to say, because as you're kind of sitting there thinking on that for a moment, you know, because culture, especially, uh, they're normalizing this, right, in, mm -hmm, in, in a mm -hmm. way that um, it's right, Mm -hmm. you know um like it's platonic it's 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 fruitful it's this it's that and then you, when you hear you know others who have come to Christ and and who have actually lived in that world the lust is like off the charts mm -hmm. and um just the debauchery and just the the level of lustfulness and sin and all of those things is so they're presenting the 10% right when 90% of it is just utter, utter mm -hmm. lustfulness, but then they, they're presenting this 10% like it's normative and it's right. And it's, you know, they're putting it in shows. It's, it's all mm -hmm. of those things. And, and what they, and then the struggle part of it, right? So like they're normalizing it on one end of the spectrum, but then on the other end of the spectrum, it's, you know, the struggle is real, um, mm -hmm. that they've been, you know, they've had to fight their whole life and all this kind of stuff. And now you've kind of shared a little bit of that, but based on your story and what you're sharing, it seems like most of it was internal, not external. Mm -hmm. Right? Some of it was external, like to what you're saying, but most of it, since the onset of right the conversation, oh, yeah. it's it's the confusion began began inside, right? It was mm -hmm. internal. And then oh, yeah. just the as you said, the existential issues that began to result from it and just all these different things. And so how that kind of plays out into the struggle where you're beginning to, okay, not because at some point you like, you did normalize the lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so we're kind of talking about, you know, um, middle school. Mm -hmm. Um, so where would you say kind of like into the high school time where at this particular point, uh, would have been what, uh, early two thousands, mid two thousands, like, 2000 like in high school yeah yeah i graduated in 2018 so oh, okay okay 24 13 2014 
Okay. 2018. So capture that kind of like, like how that, you know, we, we were, mm-hmm. we were kind of using the analogy with the tree earlier mm-hmm. and stapling things to this identity and, you know, creating this lively dead tree. Where would you say in the process, where were you in that process? And now in high school and like, okay, like this is who I am. This is my identity. Mm-hmm. Like I'm embracing it. How was that? Yeah. So elementary school, middle school, and most of high school, like 90% of high school, I ignored the tree. The tree didn't exist. I was not gay, period, in the discussion. that, that um, There was nothing to be said after that. Even in my own mind, there was no room that that was a possibility. Even though porn was a struggle, even though I had these effects, it just, I wasn't acknowledging it openly. It really wasn't until like the latter half of senior year. When I say the latter half, I mean like the last few months of senior year that I started to um, accept it, quote unquote. I had friends at school who, um, who I mean, they even they professed to be a part of the um, that that community, and um, I was surrounded by it. Um, not to mention, e- honestly, kids our age, even if you don't have a single friend who's involved in it, you're indoctrinated by it from all levels. And I don't even mean just homosexuality, sexual sin in general. Yeah, owning your sexuality, being a sexual being, gender, all, all yeah. that stuff. Yeah, sexuality. Um, so senior year is when I started to give into that stuff and started to give into the idea of maybe this would make me feel really good if I just owned it. Embraced it. Yeah, if I if I embraced it and wouldn't it be so empowering if I put this label on myself and owned it and and was unapologetic about it and um told my family about it, not worried about what was gonna be said, or wouldn't that be such a powerful experience? And I started to entertain that and then that's when sexual experiences came into the mix towards Mm -hmm. the end of senior year i started to experiment i started to reach out i started to become this quote sexual being that society encourages you to be and then it was the summer after senior year that i came out to my family and um and and i mean my whole family like not just immediate nuclear family i mean my whole family aunts uncles and everything so um that's when i started owning the label and then from there that's when the lifestyle started of um of professing it um, it being my faith, my religion, the thing I worship, and yeah, and pairing the sexual experiences with it. So end of senior year, like end of senior year, and then the summer after, that's when. So at that point, you fully embraced in terms of you became a practicing homosexual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, well, we're going to stop right here, and we'll uh, we'll pick this conversation up in part two. Uh, again, thank you guys for listening to this particular uh, podcast, part one, uh, with Colton here. And um, we wanted to, uh, Colton and I were talking before uh, recording, and we assume and hope that you, our listeners, would, would really wrestle with these things. And if you have questions, um, I know Colton would love to come back on and, and be a part of Speak the Truth and, and us ask, ask, really ask specific questions, or excuse me, answer specific questions that you would have because we know that this is obviously uh, a huge, huge conversational piece, a huge contention in our culture, uh, not just here in America, but obviously around the world. Um, and so we would like to engage in this conversation because as believers, uh, this is an arena that we absolutely need uh, to bring the gospel to. Mm-hmm. And uh, we know the narratives that are the counter narratives that are out there. Um, where it's you know pretty much suggesting that God is embracing these things. Uh, and as we'll continue to hear with Colton's story, that that wasn't the case. Again, thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.